You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Full disclosure, this episode was recorded yesterday, so some of the Joe Barry news may be slightly outdated. But please enjoy anyways. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, quite a bit has been going on. Um, and, you know, there's oftentimes, especially during the regular season, a desire to try to hurry and try to cram as much stuff as we possibly can because we got to hurry up because all this stuff goes right in the trash bin um, as soon as, you know, the game starts and we got to, you know, hit the reset button. That's not the case anymore. So we can have patience with things like uh, reviewing last year, um, the draft, looking ahead, all those kinds of things. I want to dabble in, in all that, but there's there's no real rush. And so I did not um, have the time to get yesterday's podcast done. Quite a bit has happened. I want to try to get to some house cleaning. I don't know if that's going to take the whole time. I'm guessing not. And if it doesn't, I want to try to get to some phone calls because there is quite a bit of a backlog. And, and you know, Again, we could be patient and assume that there aren't going to be as many calls, so maybe we'll just get caught up over time, but I don't know that that's the case. So bottom line is that's the plan for today. And when I say housekeeping, essentially what that means is it's kind of just a grab bag. There's a lot of little tidbits. Um, a lot of stories have emerged about the Green Bay Packers, stuff about Joe Barry, um, uh, minor transactions, news and notes from around the NFL, things of that nature. There is also an article that I want to get to. I don't usually, or at least I haven't in quite a while, poured through a uh, an article from start to finish. Usually I much prefer to just kind of let my robots summarize them, grab the points, move on to the next article, and, and you know get as much detail as I possibly can crammed into my head as possible. But um, I, I thought given the situation we're in, um, as much as I generally loathe the um, artistic nature of journalism... <laughs> You know, just just give me the freaking bullet points of information and let's move on. I actually really did appreciate the writing that was done by Bill Huber over at Sports Illustrated, and I want to be able to get through that. But on the order of random news, I found this freaking hilarious, and I thought I'd touch on it. And uh, even Bears fans might find this amusing. This is one of the few times we can come together and laugh together. Via Tom Pelissero. The Raiders plan to interview former Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze for their offensive coordinator job this week, per sources. Chicago, and this is the part that got me. This is Tom Pelissero um, further narrating this on his own, which, you know, perhaps maybe he asked why and this is what they told him, but whatever. Chicago ranked number one and number two in rushing, respectively, in two seasons with Getze calling plays. Now, I know they, they do this sometimes, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't somewhat common for them to kind of put in little notes about, you know, why they may be doing this. But I do find it a little bit funny 
that it feels as though it's a bit of a, I'm going to get out in front of the comments and, and lay out this really strong defense of why they're doing this. Because obviously everybody is going to mock this decision. Even the most ardent, you know, anti-fields people like myself who got so tired of Luke Getze getting blamed for everything acknowledge that Luke Getze was not a good offensive coordinator. In fact, many of us have pointed out, as I have in the past, Luke Getze probably should have never been an offensive coordinator to begin with. He was a wide receivers coach that lost his job as a wide receivers coach, got brought back in to be a quarterback's coach because he's Aaron Rodgers' buddy. When, when Nathaniel Hackett got hired away to be somebody else's offensive coordinator and the Packers had an opportunity to keep somebody, Luke Getze would seem to be the obvious next in line, and they allowed him to leave when they picked somebody else to be there. They, they went with an offensive line coach over Luke Getze. But still, the Bears are all excited because he's going to be the guy that's going to bring the Matt LaFleur scheme. And I don't know why this isn't a lesson we haven't learned yet, but, you know, being able to articulate a scheme and being able to implement and run and and um, game plan and call plays from a scheme to be able to build a scheme around a different group of players and all that, it's certainly not one-to-one. But beyond that, can we just focus on the second part of this? That, number one, the defense of the decision is their rushing yards. Yes, they ranked number one in rushing the year that they had the number one draft pick. So explain to me why I give a crap how good of a rushing team they are. They have been number they've been the best rushing team for 2 years and have been one of the most inept football teams and certainly one of the most inept offenses over the last 2 years. That is the wor- you as an organization. And I understand the Raiders are probably interviewing a ton of different people and you're trying to get different perspectives and maybe there are other alter you know maybe they're looking to trade for Fields and they're trying to get uh you know a little bit of information on Justin Fields out of them. I mean there's a lot of reasons this could be happening. In fact, Getsy might be getting a lot of interviews for that exact reason. They're trying to get a feel for Justin Fields. But anyways, speaking of Fields, um, I don't think it takes a ton of brain cells to figure out that the reason that they were one of the top rushing teams is because they had a quarterback that ran for a billion yards. And it really didn't have anything to do with the offensive coordinator. And that's not to say they were a bad you know, running back rushing team, but I, I don't, I, I uh, oh boy. Speaking of interviewing guys, just for the sake of the quarterback, I know the Bears have already got their OC and we'll, we'll get to that, but um, there was some talk and I don't know if it actually materialized or if it was a phone call or what all happened, but apparently the Bears were um, wanting to or did reach out to Cliff Kingsbury. The reason that's interesting is Kingsbury went on to be senior offensive analyst and quarterbacks coach at USC. So he's the QB coach for the guy that the Bears would likely be drafting. So we'll get into some of the reports about, you know, head coaching or, you know, we we'll probably won't actually talk about head coaching, but some of the OCDC guys, I think a lot of it potentially could come down to fact finding missions. You know, you just slip a couple in there. Nobody really notices what you're doing. But what the Bears actually did was hire Shane Waldron to be their, um, their offensive coordinator. He is a uh, relatively young coach, 44 years old, got started as a grad assistant at Notre Dame in 2005. He went from grad assistant to offensive quality control coach, tight ends coach, wide receivers coach, offensive coordinator. Uh, What other hats has he worn here? Passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach. So he ran the gauntlet. He was at Notre Dame. He's with the Patriots, Hartford, 
Colonials, Buckingham, Brown, and Nichols School, UMass, uh, Redskins, the Rams. It looks like that's probably where things kind of took off. He was with the Reds, so he went from UMass to the Redskins in 2016. Then was the tight ends coach of the Rams in 2017, passing game coordinator for the Rams in 2018, passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach in 2019, kind of just working his way up the ranks. And then in 2021, became the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. So, I mean, it's really not hard to see where a lot of his experience comes from. I mean, again, he's been all over the place, but his career kind of took off when he was with the McVay Rams. And he went over there year one with Sean McVay. So he was over there with LaFleur and the whole crew. In fact, apparently that's why he ended up in Seattle, because Russell Wilson liked him, because he was a Sean McVay guy, and he wanted to bring that offense over to Seattle. As far as does that tip their hand in terms of what quarterback they're going to go with, I mean, aside from the obvious fact that Caleb is probably just going to be the guy because he's just going to be the guy, I would say no. I think a big part of the reason Shane Waldron was hired is because he's got a lot of different experience with different quarterbacks, and they just want to make sure that the guy that they get has proved that he can get the job done. That's not to say that there isn't an ideal quarterback for whatever scheme he's planning on running, but I think it had more to do with polls wanted to make sure that whoever I determine is best for us, this guy is going to be able to get the best out of him. More so than taking that out of Paul's hands and giving it to the offensive coordinator, which I don't think is going to happen. It is funny, though, as I peruse social media, Bears Twitter's, Twitter's is very convinced that Justin Fields is still staying, and I'm, I'm just blown away by that. They are so freaking deranged, it's, it's kind of scary. Finally, from an NFL news perspective, Apparently, they're going to be looking at the fumble out of the end zone thing this offseason for a potential rule change. Sounds like they've already done this before and have not had enough momentum, but that's how these things happen, is it comes up and nobody cares, and then it comes up and you know it blows up in a big way in a game. People get super pissed off, and you just get more and more teams that buy in. Um, but ultimately, you can only have eight dissenting teams. That is to say, eight teams say, no, I want to keep it the way that it is, and it can be a rule change. If you get up to nine, then the rule stays as it is. You need 24 clubs to agree to change a rule and agree to what the rule change should be in order for that to become a thing. I absolutely don't like the rule. I don't think it makes the most sense. I think there are more sensible ways to handle that situation. It just it, it, Punishment doesn't fit the crime is, is where I'm at seems entirely arbitrary. It, it completely changes the game. And the other team gets the ball based on no merit of their own. You don't have to recover a fumble. You don't have to get a pick. You don't have to do a freaking thing. You can give up a touchdown. And if the guy let go, lets go of the ball and it goes out of the end zone, you get the ball back. That's stupid. As far as alternatives, I'd, I'd rather give it back to him on the one yard line than turn it over to the other team. Honestly, though, if you want to have a more um, punishing rule for fumbling out of the end zone, take it back to the five-yard line, the 10-yard line, the freaking 25-yard line. I don't care what it is, but the fumbling team should get the ball back unless it was fourth down or something. And, and it wasn't a, you know, and it wasn't a first down, then, then yeah, I guess you don't get the ball back on that situation like you normally wouldn't. That's a turnover on downs, but I just, I don't understand the other ball gets the, other team gets the ball thing. I just, I don't get that. It just doesn't flow with the game, you know, it just feels like an arbitrary rule to me. And it's an arbitrary rule with such unbelievably massive consequences. You are inches away 
from it either being a touchdown, being out at the one-inch line, and being given to the other team at the, what, 20-yard, 25-yard line or something? One of these things is not like the others. (laughs) I don't know. whole thing is just stupid to me. Anyways, moving on to the Green Bay Packers news. I guess the Packers, and specifically Eric Stokes and Christian Watson, are going to be seeing a hamstring specialist over at UW. Here's a quote from Tom Silverstein, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He says, The Packers, a source said, plan to send both players to Badger Athletic Performance on the UW-Madison campus, where clinical assessments will be done to better understand how the force of their on-field movements are affecting their bodies and what they can do to reduce future injuries. For For the record, this is exactly what teams need to be doing. This is the kind of stuff that the Packers need to be doing. I mean, going to the ends of the earth to figure out how in the world we can maximize and get the most out of these players. Badger Athletic Performance Director Brian uh, Heiderscheidt is among a small group of specialists who received $4 million million in funding from the NFL to study hamstring injuries, which the league says are the most common in the NFL and account for missed games 75% of the time. According to their website, uh, Heiderscheidt and his team have been studying the mechanics of hamstring and other injuries through testing and data gathering, trying to determine the best training and rehabilitation practices to decrease injury rates. So, kind of nice that one of the foremost experts who's been given a ton of money by the NFL to study this is, you know, not really right down the street, but basically right down the street in Madison here. Watson sounds like that's not all that he's planning on doing. He's going to, you know, again, go to the ends of the earth here. Watson confirmed that the Packers had discussed being evaluated at Badger Athletic Performance and said he was going to explore as many options as it took to help him to get over the hamstring problems that cost him eight games and 19 practices and limited him to just 41.5% of the team's offensive snaps. He said he was in the process of working out details with the Packers for the offseason. Quote, I have to find out what the root of it is, Watson said, as players cleared out their lockers and said their goodbyes following Saturday's playoff game to the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's the start, and then I'll be able to formulate a plan around that. If I can find out what kind of things are possibly leading to it and make sure I'm doing the right things in the offseason during OTAs into training camp, find ways to make sure I'm doing everything I can to be uh, conscious of it, that's my number one plan. Says both Watson and Stokes suffered multiple hamstring injuries despite doing extensive preventative work and rehabilitation this season. Both men are tall, lean, and muscular athletes with unusual speed for their size, and so they have different challenges when coming back from hamstring injuries than some other athletes. Than some other athletes, and and I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, you just think about, for example, the explosion that Christian Watson has, and how much torque, how much force is being put on that hamstring when he just launches and then how much mass he needs to move and then just the general structure in you know overall maybe being a little bit leaner doesn't help either because it's a muscle that can't necessarily handle as much it's almost as if he's too big and fast for his own body and maybe there isn't an answer and that's that's potentially the scary thing is that he's just too big and fast and at the same time small you know lean to be able to sustain this high level of play. Now, that would be unusual because he hasn't really had these injuries until recently, but if there's an answer, hopefully they're able to find it. Watson says he's tried everything he can to treat the injury, paying more than $10,000 of his own money to get treatments and see specialists. He at one time thought it had to do with uh, weakness in his hips and back, but he said strength doesn't appear to be the problem. 
and he's been focused on trying to find ways to take pressure off of his hamstrings. Matt LaFleur was asked about it. He was quoted as saying, that's something we need to figure out because he's an impact player and we need uh, and we see value when he's going full strength. His ability to make plays for us, explosive plays, were better when he's on the grass. And I don't know that that's super debatable at this point. The end of the article says, the seven games, or excuse me, the all together for every single Green Bay Packers player, when you look at hamstring injuries, there were 34 missed games. Stokes and Watson accounted for 24 of the 34 There were 80 missed practices. They accounted for 55 of the 80 missed practices due to hamstrings. You do wonder, too, if this, you know, maybe is something to look for moving forward. I mean, the the Packers seem to have a type, which is, you know, these big, tall, really fast guys. But if you're big and tall and fast, you're probably relatively lean, and maybe that's just not something that's going to work. And so you're looking for maybe sort of the, if you want tall and fast, you better make sure that they've got the, the, you know, the, um, the mass to be able to support the muscles that are going to be required to do what you need it to do. The problem is you don't actually even know what the problem is, so it's hard to avoid it. But it certainly seems to be that there is a a type of player that they like, and that type of player is susceptible to these types of injuries. But anyways, why don't we take our first break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddies where you can support the podcast, or hit me up on Venmo Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so why don't we dive into the Joe Barry thing because this has been a very up and down, kind of a crazy roller coaster the last couple of days, and and it started with this. So immediately after, um, there was the post game press conference. Obviously, Matt Lafleur is is very, um, it's very gloomy and also defensive. But this this quote right here definitely uh, really riled people up. Here was toward the end 
of the press conference. What did you think about how your defense played today? I thought I, I thought it was fantastic. You know, um, certainly you'd like to get a, a stop at the end, and that's a, that's one of the best offenses in this league. It's one of the best football teams in this league, and like I said, there there were so many opportunities. I thought in the first half, even in the second half, where you know we just we didn't take advantage of them, and that, that, that stinks. Matt Helen. So the the very first part of that, saying I thought that they were fantastic, immediately I was flooded with messages. Well, Joe Barry's staying, even if he thought Joe Barry did a fantastic job, it doesn't mean he's staying. Even if he thought he was do- he did a terrible job, it wouldn't mean he's getting fired or let go. We'll get into that in a minute. But I also find it funny that he immediately went into like why it wasn't great. <laughs> it's like I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Never seen a better defensive performance ever. Um, I mean, you know, th- there was like at the end when we couldn't stop him, which obviously sucked. And you know, basically the entire game, there, there was a lot of opportunities, missed opportunities where we could have could have had him and and didn't. And that's obviously for the defense as well. But aside from like the entire game when it wasn't good, I thought it was amazing. Really, really, really good. But I, I, I don't see that as, as meaning much, especially since I genuinely believe that, you know, when they say that they're going to take some time, even though they might have a pretty good idea in the back of their, their head of what they're going to do, um, I, I believe that they adhere to a process and, and they're not going to make any final decisions until they go through the process. And so when they say that they don't know, that there's a, a an air of truth to it. And so trying to read between the tea leaves so that we know exactly what they mean when they say things like, I thought the defense, I, I just, I don't think that there's really anything of substance there. And to be completely honest, I, I think you can make just as much of a case for the fact that all this defense of the defense haha, could mean that they're leaving as much as they're staying. Because if you think about it, imagine that your friend is the defensive coordinator and he's being thrown under the bus and not for any reason that's wrong. Rightly so. You're still going to be defensive. And imagine if you know that you're going to have to fire the guy. Under what circumstance can you ever imagine? Pretend it's your, your brother or your cousin or your, your best friend and they're trying as hard as they possibly can and it's just not coming together and they're under constant scrutiny and the media only wants to add, wants you to constantly throw this guy under the bus. I mean, there's going to be an, a, a visceral reaction from without in most human beings to react the exact opposite way. Don't you think he sucks? No, I actually think he's doing great. And I think you suck. He's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to this organization. Why don't you get bent, loser? I think it's actually easier to critique when things are going well. It's easier to look at, at you know, somebody that you know is not going anywhere. You know, you look at a guy like Jordan Love and, and pick apart little things and be like, you know, he needs to work on this and work on that because it's not even a question of whether they're leaving. I'm not making a case that it means he's leaving. I'm just saying trying to determine his comments and, and draw direct conclusions, I think, is eh, especially when a lot of it just seems to be an emotional reaction from a guy who wants to tell people who are attacking Joe Barry to shove it or taking things too literally. But he started off uh, Monday's press conference after with a little bit more of a uh, clear head, a little bit more energy. He's not hiding under his hat. There's a little bit of light shining on his face. He obviously was able to take the 24 hours just like we were to kind of, you know, refresh himself. And here's how he started. I mean, he went through, I mean, this is after two minutes of him already speaking, but here is toward the end of his um, 
pre-questions speech. But um, I know there's going to be a lot of long-term, big, big picture questions. Um, I'm not there yet, fellas. Uh, we're just, like I said, we're just starting the process. I gave everybody off yesterday. I came in yesterday and, and watched the tape, all three phases. Um, but it, it, we're just getting into the evaluation portion right now. So um, probably not going to have many answers for you guys. Um, haven't met with any of our coaches yet. That'll, that'll start this afternoon. Certainly meet with the coordinators and then go down with all the position coaches. And um, All right, so... At the time of this, you know, which again was two days later, he still hadn't even met with the coordinators. From that point, he has to go on and make evaluations. I'm sure there's meetings with Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy and all that stuff in terms of the the, the future. Um, there's definitely going to be some level of pressure because if you're moving on, you don't, I mean, coordinators, we just talked about it to start off the show. They're already getting hired. And although none of the DCs that I have been salivating over are gone yet, they're going to that, that it's going to start to fall and teams are already doing their first and second interviews with guys and um the packers haven't even made a decision yet but um it's officially countdown time right so again monday was meeting day that's done i don't know exactly how much evaluation there is to be done but again i i do think that there's going to be some pressure to get this figured out as soon as is possible this is just you know for me, anyways, it's the 23rd, so it's a day later. I don't know how much more time they're going to need, but I do think a decision is going to be made relatively soon. And by that, I mean, I would think probably before, let's say, the Super Bowl. You know, when they let go of Mike Patton, it was January 29th, and that's kind of, you know, I'm thinking end of the end of the month feels about right. So we're talking about a week. Now, if you're still worried about retaining uh, Joe Barry, let me give you another sort of glimmer of hope here. Because if you look at it, it was within a week that Mike Pettin was fired. It was within 24 hours last year that Joe Barry was retained. Now, that's not to say that's going to happen every single time. But last year, our last game was on the 8th. And that next Monday, during the press conference, Matt LaFleur told everybody that Joe Barry would be keeping his job. So that Monday press conference came around, and that's not what he said. He said, well, you know, I'm meeting with people. We'll see how it goes, et cetera, et cetera, which means at the very least, it's on the table. Now, if j just thinking this through here a little bit, if it was the case that Matt LaFleur and everybody else felt that Joe Barry had done a perfectly fine job and there, that really there was no reason to let go of them, then what is it there to what is there to look through? Just like last year, I mean, it was it was we're keeping them. There at least must be something that's laid at their feet that says a change may be necessary. So the question for me kind of shifts from you know is it bad enough for him to be fired to what is it that they're going to have to see or hear from Joe Barry to make them think that maybe they should keep him on? In fact, that's in part what um, the article by Matt Schneidman of the Athletic said. Doesn't mean that he's gone, but it certainly means he's less certain than he was last year. The article also lists some of his uh, accolades. It says, since the start of the 2021 season when Barry became defensive coordinator, including the regular season and playoffs, the Packers ranked 12th in points allowed per game, 21st in defensive expected points added per play, tied for 13th in takeaways, 30th in defensive EPA per snap, 14th in defensive uh, pass EPA per dropback, 
25th in opponent third down conversion percentage, ninth in defensive red zone EPA per play. So a lot of convoluted, stupid sounding things, but 12th in points given up, 21st in EPA per play, which again, just kind of breaks down the quality of, of, of each play on a play-to-play basis. 13th in takeaways, uh, 30th at stopping the run using EPA as a metric, 14th in stopping the pass using EPA as a metric, 25th in third downs, 9th in red zone. I mean, that's, that is at best a mediocre defense over three years, right? I mean, that's not really debatable. Now, there were some things that kind of shook everybody up, uh, seemingly, um, as far as some of the quotes that are in this article. At the very end, it says, players, at least publicly, seem to want Barry back. Now, that, ins- that sentence is very important, but here are some of the quotes. I let them handle all that stuff. Coach and everybody else, love Joe B, love the work we've put in, defensive tackle Kenny Clark said. We've been through a lot this year as a team, as a defense, whatever you may call it. Got nothing but respect for how we all just handled it and stuck it out and pulled it all together. Next quote says, of course, safety Jonathan Owens said when asked if Joe Barry was the right man for the job. He's a smart guy. He's been doing the NFL a long time. He has a scheme. It's just all about everybody doing their job. We play for Joe B, edge rusher Preston Smith said recently. So, look, first of all, it, it, I think we can all agree this is not a adequate criteria of whether a guy should play or stay or not. Whether players publicly say nice things about you when asked by the media. Okay. Number two, do we really expect players, when asked publicly, to give their position on Joe Barry to say that dude's freaking trash and we need to get rid of him? Obviously not. Number three, there's a difference between being likable and liked and being good at your job. Think, I mean, just think about that. Have you ever worked with somebody, maybe had a, a boss or a supervisor that you liked as a person, but you knew just wasn't very good at their job? And if you were asked in front of everybody and in front of that boss and everybody else, like what you think of the boss, what would you say? You'd probably say really nice things about them and you'd probably mean it because you do like them. But if you're being completely honest in the depths of your soul about whether or not somebody could probably come in and do that person's job better and it would make the, uh, the company run a little bit better, would the answer be yes? I'm not saying the answer is yes. I don't know what the players think, but I, I guess all I'm saying is this is all very. It's very nice. I'm glad that they like him. It's definitely a far cry from, you know, a potential mutiny that it felt like it was toward the end of the season. But I don't see it as being much more than that. Anyways, maybe the most interesting aspect of this whole thing is that it's been sort of assumed, and I've been saying it just based on the fact that I thought it was right. I don't I don't even remember exactly how it all started. It's just it's one of those things that you just say because you think you know it based on what you are pretty sure you've heard people say that you assume are reputable people, but you don't know. And that is that Joe Barry's contract is expiring. Well, according to Matt Schneidman, he tweeted this on Monday. Quick housekeeping note, Joe Barry's contract is not expiring, according to a source. Matt LaFleur has yet to make a decision on the future of his defensive coordinator, but it would be a firing and not a decline to renew if he moves on from Barry. Question then is, how significant is that? And there's kind of two different answers. My answer would be entirely irrelevant. It has nothing to do with what we're trying to accomplish, which is determining whether or not Joe Barry should be back and is the right man for the job. The second answer is it probably does matter. Now, are they going to be like so absolutely 50-50 on the fence that this is actually going to move the needle? Probably not. But I have to assume it does make a difference because just the basic framing of the question 
should we bring back Joe Barry or should we explore other options compared to should we fire Joe Barry based on his performance, even though maybe that's not how we should be phrasing it, phrasing it, every year should be a question of, is this person the best person for the job? I do think that that's going to have some level of an impact, especially given the performance down the stretch of the defense, especially given seemingly the players like him, especially given his relationship with Matt LaFleur, which shouldn't matter, but I'm sure it does, especially given the team's success down the stretch and the fact that uh, Joe Barry's defenses have never really let us down when it comes to the playoffs, which could be seen in and of itself as a perk that maybe we, when we get there, as long as we can get the offense revved up, we'll be, we'll be good enough. And yeah, you could say this past one was a defensive failure if you want, but eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it should move the needle, but I, I, I think it does move the needle. The, the question really becomes, how convicted are they in their need to move on from Joe Barry? If, I mean, like I said, if it's, if it's right at 50-50 and they're not sure, I think this absolutely moves the needle enough. If they're convinced that Joe Barry's not the right guy and there are some people out there that they like and would like to interview and, and feel can do a better job, maybe they want to move in a new dif- d- uh, direction as far as scheme. Maybe they want to keep the same scheme, but think that there are better people to employ it. It shouldn't make a difference. But again, very worth noting. All right, let's take our final break. We'll come back and um, get into this Sports Illustrated article. We'll be right back. So the reason I like it is because, you know, I mean, this this is right in line with what the conversation has been on Packernet After Dark for some time. Some people are calling in to say it. Other times it's me highlighting this as being an important aspect. But the point is, this season is different. It's different in terms of, you know, yes, that was painful, but there's much more optimism. The article by Bill Huber, written uh, sportsillustrated.com, Packers Central, is titled, Instead of Disappointment, Packers Season Ends with Super Bowl Dreams. Subtitle says, Usually the final media availability of the football season is filled with disappointment. Not on Monday, as the Packers cleared out their lockers for the year. So it starts off by talking about how long, you know, he's been doing this since 2008, which is a very long time. He goes through all the different moments that he's seen post-locker room and how every single one of those has been extremely gloomy. And a lot of that has to do with, as we've talked about, the fact that there is an expectation to win a Super Bowl. And when you don't achieve that, it is somewhat crushing. Then talks about the scene of of John Runyon and... um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but he had to choke back tears when talking about how great it's been to be a Green Bay Packer. He, I think, sees probably the writing on the wall that it, at the very least there is a um, a decent chance that he will not be back. But after that, it says, otherwise, the mood was positive, uh, positively upbeat. The team's upward trajectory outweighing the sting of falling a game short of the NFC Championship game. It says, and why not? The players see the reality as most of you. They're young, talented, and ascending, and they've got a real quarterback. With a great quarterback, anything is possible. You know it. I know it. The players in the locker room know it. With Rodgers, every season started with Super Bowl expectations. With love, it seems the same will be true. To take it all the way, Guard Elton Jenkins says of his expectations for next season, most definitely get better as an offense, trust in the process, and get better individually so collectively we can be better and take it all the way. Immediately after the game, outside linebacker Preston Smith said the team needs to attack the coming months with a championship mindset. And I think that's an important thing, too, about this this coming offseason. I think there's a really good chance that the team has a different focus than they maybe would have otherwise. And again, you know, you, you talk about what if we had had the number one pick and all that kind of stuff. 
I don't know that they would attack the offense, or the, the offseason necessarily the same way. Obviously, some people would, whether it's just out of pride or out of wanting to get a big contract or whatever. But the idea now that, hey, we are one of the top teams and I want to be a part of it. I want to go out and be a dynasty. I think it does kind of change the focus. It's not an underdog mentality. It's a championship mentality, Sean Ryan said. Training like we're going to win a Super Bowl next year and training hard with that mentality that we got a long season next year and we're going to go out there and do it. Again, I mean, it's human nature. You'd love to believe that everybody just works as hard as they possibly can all the time. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. And I think that this is a young team that really recognizes what's in front of them. Especially, you know, you talk about how frustrating it might be that, um, you know, for example, Rashawn Gary got paid and we didn't really see him after that. And obviously, hopefully that that changes or whatever. But the point is, there is still a a pre-contract period of time where guys work really hard to be as good as they possibly can to get paid. We got a lot of those guys. How many wide receivers, tight ends, and offensive linemen are, are looking at the fact that, hey, I got an opportunity to be one of the highest paid players in football? Zach Tom, I mean, Rashid Walker, maybe he wasn't believing it. I think he's believing it now. Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, even Bo Melton, uh, um, Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave. Even if it's not for the sake of the team, there's a lot of guys looking at this going, dude. This is for real. And maybe if I just put in this work and uh, do as hard as I can for the next couple of years, I might, I might be getting, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars, 30 million, depending on the position, the player, or whatever, over multiple years. That's a big deal. A little further down, it says, but with love and his fleet of young pass catchers, a defense with some top tier talent, and five draft picks in the first three rounds of the 2024 NFL draft, the Packers seem to be on the precipice of greatness. That belief outweighs every other feeling coming off what might have been a crushing season-ending loss. We're coming. We're coming with a purpose, Jenkins says. We want to win it all. Feel like we could have done it this year, but next year we'll be very optimistic. We've got the guys in the building. We've got everything that we need to get it done. We've just got to go do it. We set a good foundation this year. We've just got to go win. I mean, listen, everybody in that building has to understand the situation. You know, they talk about, well, it's the ex, you know, I, I don't care if we're young. You know, we always think we're going to go win the Super Bowl. Yeah, but you're not an idiot either. You know what I mean? Christian Watson and all these guys, they, they understand that, dude, if we're this good already and we're still just trying to figure stuff out and we're out there competing on the biggest stage against the best teams, dude, like we're going to be freaking amazing. And I'm just saying belief is a hell of a drug. So that was very cool to hear, and it's it's definitely interesting to hear that there's a very different perspective. You know, um, obviously there's there's a little bit of disappointment, but the fact that these guys are not just hanging their head and saying basically, you know, don't talk to me, I'll get back to you next year, but like, heck yeah, man, I'm jacked. And it's because they have a long term vision. Jaden Reed's in year one; he's just getting his footing. He's he's just excited he got to play year one. He's not in the final year of his deal. He's not 35 years old, wondering whether he should retire or not. As far as he knows, he'll be playing football forever. And it's not just naive belief either. Here's what PFF had to say on this exact issue. 
for them to be in the playoffs, for them to take it to the 49ers. And honestly, I think you can make a pretty strong argument they were the better team in this game and should have won it, and their mistakes cost them the game more than the 49ers, like, rescuing the game. For that to be the reality of this team, with a first-time starter in Jordan Love and a group of wide receivers that are all first- and second-year guys is crazy. And it was different receivers stepping up every single week. Romeo Dobbs was great these last couple weeks in the playoffs, whether it's Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones running the ball, still looking good. Jordan Love's development this year should have Packers fans obviously really excited, even though this wasn't his best game, not the way you would want to finish it. But they were, you know, they were a seven seed, probably the best seven seed that we've seen. Packers fans should be pretty excited about the future and what they were able to accomplish. And, and again, I don't know what the, the media narratives are going to spin into in a couple of months or whatever, but this is the reality. And this is what not only what we see, but what the Packers players see and the coaching staff sees that that Gutekunst and Murphy see, and the way in which they decide to shape the future is going to be based on what they just saw, which I don't think anybody was expecting, which is becoming, you know, it's almost like you need to start expecting the unexpected because I've been hearing this ever since we were about ready to move on from Rodgers and he goes to win back-to-back MVPs. Like, I mean, I guess it was possible. I didn't think it was going to happen. Well, that changes things. Here we are again. Fortunately, this is all positive and there's nothing bad that can come out of this, but... This is our reality now. All right, other little things here. Um, reported by Tom Silverstein, the Packers have signed these practice squad players to off-season roster. Linebacker Keyshawn Banks, safety Tyler Coyle, wide receiver Grant DeBose, defensive lineman Jonathan Ford, cornerback Zion Gilbert, cornerback Anthony Johnson, quarterback Alex Magoo, running back Alex Ellis Merriweather, linebacker Aaron Mosby, Linebacker Kenneth Odomegwu and fullback Henry Pearson. Oh, and wide receiver Thyric Pitts. Tackle Kadeem Telfort and tight end Joel Wilson. So that puts the Packers' current roster at 59 of 90. Obviously, there's going to be more work to be done over the next coming months. Final thing I wanted to touch on, uh, it's just kind of a weird thing. I saw this article pop up that Matt LaFleur was really upset with Tom Rinaldi. Honestly, don't even know who that is. But it was funny because Tom Rinaldi essentially said on the broadcast, apparently I didn't hear it, said that Matt LaFleur just prays whenever Anders Carlson goes out to kick a field goal. Here is what Matt LaFleur had to say about this quote that apparently was untrue. That was extremely disappointing uh, that that's how that message got uh, portrayed. Um, You know, I've been doing this for been a part of the production meetings for ever since I became coordinator. And I've never had an experience like that, but it is what it is. I talked to hunters about it. And, you know, I think anytime something's out of your control, you, you know, kind of saying it in jest and having fun with it, but it got portrayed that way. And, you know, it, it's a learning lesson for me. Um, So the last part of that is the part that I found kind of the most interesting. (laughs) So apparently there was a comment made that Matt LaFleur just says a prayer when Anders Carlson goes out there. Matt LaFleur is incensed, says, I've never had anything like this happen before, that that's how that message was portrayed. And immediately it's like, okay, so you definitely said something about that. But if that's not what you said, what did you say? And then he ends it by saying that he said it in jest, as in as a joke. 
Bro, I don't think anybody took that literally as though you're actually on your knees praying. <laughs> it, again, I, I still don't know because he didn't say what the actual context was or what was or wasn't said. But even when you say something jokingly, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that you're saying something lightheartedly. But you're still acknowledging that your kicker is not very good and that you're very nervous about it. So I don't know that there's a huge gap between reality and what was said. It sounds to me maybe as though he was just talking to a guy and was just kind of goofing around and expected it to be understood that way and that he wouldn't, like, tell everybody that Matt LaFleur said that. Like, in other words, between us, you know, and he goes and blasts that on national television and he got pretty pissed, which for that I understand, but it's like you still said it, though. You're not even denying you said it. You're just like, I was, I was just kidding, though. It's like if you call a fat person fat, but you're just kidding. It's like, okay, but... <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to my friend, and I said, you know, that guy over there is kind of fat. But I was joking. I didn't mean for him to go over there and, like, tell him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the fact that you're joking is the point, though. <laughs> I don't know. And again, it could be other thing. I mean, it, it could be... You know, not just Honors Carlson. It could be any time a kicker goes out there, you just pray. And that was what was misconstrued. But again, it would be nice for Matt LaFleur to, if it's something like that, clarify and just be like, you know, whenever he goes out there, just like any other kicker, you just you just pray, man. Nothing else, because it's out of your control, you know? I just thought that was the worst explanation ever. Not just because it was incomplete, but to, to go up there and be incensed and then essentially tell everybody that, yeah, I said it. <laughs> but I was just kidding. Anyways, I think we did some good housekeeping today. Why don't we leave it at that? You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.